my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. iHeartRadio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up rituals Scrub star Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling. Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Thank you so much for joining us for another session of the iHeart Podcast Speaker Series. Really, really appreciate you to take the time and hang out with us for a half hour today. For anyone that's heard these before, we started doing these about two plus years ago when the world was moving into a sort of different mode. We were all moving into a bit of quarantine, maybe a lot of quarantine, and we wanted to try to figure out a way to stay more connected with each other. So we started these weekly conversations with content makers, with partners that we're working with at iHeartMedia in podcasting as just a way to have great conversations week in, week out. 
and to share those with folks as they, we thought that uh, they may want to hear them. And we've just had incredible sessions with everybody from Martha Stewart to Malcolm Gladwell. And this week is sort of no exception. We are launching a show soon called Stradio Lab. It's a play on a very famous seminal podcast called Radio Lab. It's with two comedians, George Severus and Sam Taggart. First of all, George Sam, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. I'm really, really psyched to talk to you about this wacky, crazy, very kind of, I think, unique new show that you guys have dreamed up. But thanks for being well, here Well, thanks first. for having us. It's an honor to be your most famous guest yeah, ever. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> found dead in a ditch. <laughs> R.I.P. I feel like because before we started this, I said to these guys, hey, we're going to pre-record some of this. It's going to go way off the rails. And you know what? The surprise is going to be, I'm not going to edit any of it out. George, you are a comedian. You're a writer. You're in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, you're currently a senior editor at Gawker. Your stand-ups appeared all over the place, but at least on Comedy Central. At the very uh, least. <laughs> at the very <laughs> least. And you were selected as a new face of comedy at the Just for Last Festival in Montreal. There's a bunch of other stuff here that I promise you is impressive. I'm going to skip to you, Sam. You're a comedian, writer. You're an actor. You live in Brooklyn, too. You've appeared on stuff like Search Parties, Lots of Spookies. You're also a writer on some stuff. You were a part of Comedy Central's Digital Creators in 2020. You're part of a list that I find kind of funny. Vulture put out this list of comedians you should and will know for 2021, which is like the most aggressively titled list I've heard. Like, I don't have a choice. I'm going to know about these people. I mean, isn't that how it works, um, whether you like it or not? <laughs> it's a like it or not list. But we have this idea of a show called Stradio Lab. I don't want to like make it too dramatic, but it is sort of pointed and edgy and cool in its own way that I think is like a pitch we hadn't heard before. We were like, wow, that's like a weird new idea. Maybe start with you, Sam. Like, where did this idea come from? Why do this? Well, George and I wanted to work together on something on a podcast of some sort. And we were just sort of brainstorming and trying to figure out what we could talk about week after week. And I honestly, I think George came up with it was like, what if we do a straight topic every single week, talk about straight culture? <laughs> we were like, wait, it's, it's too simple. It's too easy. <laughs> but yeah, I think we were both like just trying to make it as like weird and interesting as possible for like what the premise is. George, did I say anything incorrect factually? <laughs> so that was all wrong. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's nothing more harrowing than having a brainstorming session where nothing is coming Truly. out. And we were, you know, we did, to our credit, have many very good ideas. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you keep thinking you have to do something so weird or specific. And mm -hmm. in fact, when you look at like all our favorite podcasts, they just have like a simple premise. And then your job is to make it weird and specific, just like episode by episode. So when we came up with the idea of having each episode be about a different element of straight culture, like straight topic, it seemed almost too dumb. Um, <laughs> we were like, A, this is dumb. And B, surely someone has already done this in like some like terrible show in the 90s <laughs> or something. But luckily they hadn't. What's nice about the premise being like a different topic every week is that it's endlessly generative. So, you know, it's like you can do something simple like football, which yes, obviously that is a straight topic. Some of them are so kind of like out there. Like one of our topics was math. One of the topics was like photos of siblings where they're, <laughs> what was it, Sam? So photos of siblings where they're accidentally 
accidentally touch each yeah. other or something. Like, or like my favorite is like trust issues. And it's like trust issues. <laughs> they are what they yeah. are. The topics are the topics are what they are. I don't know if I need to do any more than like read the show description, which is like, wow, that packs a punch in a weird kind of unexpected way. So it's like Stradio Lab is an intellectual podcast where smart comedians George Severus and Sam Taggart unpack the rich multicolored tapestry of straight culture. In each episode, George and Sam are joined by a guest to hold a mirror to society and finally get to the bottom of mysterious and perverse topics such as college fraternities, gender reveal parties, the military, <laughs> themed restaurants, and the concept of the holidays. Scared? Good. Sam, why is this scared? First of all, what is a straight topic? <laughs> you know. Wow, we're going back to yeah, basics. you know. <laughs> I mean, listen, if we have to explain it to you, you're already- Oh, honey. Around. It can be literally any element, anything that seems straight at all. And we just unpack it as if it is intellectual and important. I think the average way that a gay comedian duo would talk about straight stuff is how stupid it is. And we thought it was so funny to treat it with reverence and- <laughs> as Yeah. Well, that, I mean, obviously we've strayed far from the Radiolab inspiration, but in the beginning, the idea was to be like, okay, the joke is that we are seriously contemplating an issue like college fraternities as like a sociological phenomenon, as though it's like the craziest thing ever. And we're like investigating straight culture. But yeah, anything that stems from a nuclear family, America, uh, <laughs> you know, big business. Sure. I mean, and anything can be argued to be straight, I think is also when we have guests come on, sometimes I think they'll try to trip us up and be like, what if your topic was the Queer Eye guys? And it's like, well, let's see how that fits in. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, they are because straight people like... <laughs> It's like this expanding universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me take a step back. So one of the parts of these conversations that I've found kind of cool is to find out where people got this creator's bug or comedic bug or whatever storytelling bug to start with. And these kind of origin stories, was it, I was a kid and my dad used to perform at the dinner table every night when we'd have dessert. And it just sparked me like, I want to do that. That's what I want to do with my life. Starting with you, Sam, like, where did that start? At what point were you like, A, I like this, B, I might be actually kind of good at this. Like, where, where did it come from? It was from? a rolling process. I think I was a very, like, quiet child, but like, with that sort of observational child. But then, like, you know, I was obsessed with like SNL to be the most basic person on earth and sort of like, how do you get into this? And like, tried to like write sketches and funny dances for the school talent show and started to feel it out through that. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, there is an improv troupe here and I can try it and I don't have to commit my life to it. And then it was like, oh, this kind of works. I kind of fit in with this. And then it was like, well, I guess I'll move to New York and try it. And then it was like, okay, well, I guess it's kind of working. So I'll keep going <laughs> until someone tells me to stop. And so far, no one, I mean, Vulture is telling people they have to listen to me. And <laughs> so, so far, so good. But uh, yeah, it was more of just like, I've always had like a love of comedy and even like a, a strong taste in comedy. Like I, I always like the silly, weird, goofy stuff and sort of wanting to like champion that type of tone in the world. What have you liked more? Do you like more sitting in your apartment developing an idea or a new routine or a new character or writing? Or do you like more 
being on stage and the fun. And I imagine sometimes the pain of like being in front of an audience and trying stuff, trying to connect, trying to make people laugh. What's more fulfilling? Are they just two totally different things that are incomparable? I think they feed into each other. I think the live performance element is where I really learned how to write jokes because before that I was kind of leaning on being weird and sort of being like just wacky. And it was like, no, you have to learn how to like phrase something. So that's like where I figured it out. But then to take that to my writing has helped a lot. I mean, there's nothing better than live performance. You get the immediate feedback. Even when it's bad, you're kind of like, well, I know it's bad. <laughs> and I don't have to like toil away for months wondering if it was bad. I, I know right now. So it's kind of a, a priceless activity. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share 
other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something you just said, though, sparked a curiosity for me. That notion of initially I just tried to be weird and I thought maybe that could carry it just to put words in mm-hmm. your mouth a little bit. And then I realized at some point and there's actually like I got to like wordsmith the thing so that it is better than it could be. Like there's a craft to this stuff. Who told you that? Who who said, hey, dude, there's actually like work here that you got to do? Like, you, what, like, was that or did you just realize it? Like, what was that moment? It was kind like? of both. I was trying to meet in the middle somewhere. And honestly, maybe this is too um, earnest. I can't tell. But my boyfriend, we met when I had been doing comedy for like six months in New York. And he was yeah. very like you know, you're going to have to let people in. Like you're going to have to like explain to people what's going on in your head. Basically, you're putting up weird walls so people don't know who you are. And I was kind of like pushed back on that. And I was like, you don't know. You don't know me. (laughs) And now like in retrospect, it really helped me. And I I, like couldn't get out of my head. And it really pushed me to think about how I communicate with people and how I can be more direct and like open. George, what about you? Where did it start? First of all, where did that inspiration come from? If if that's what it was. Well, I grew up in a very funny family and in fact, funny in like a biting way. (laughs) Like I've told Sam this, but it took a while for me to unlearn that not everyone thinks it's funny to like insult them constantly. It, it, genuinely, it has ruined friendships for me. <laughs> but like in my family group chat, for instance, my mom recently bought the ugliest couches I've ever seen and sent a photo of them. And then it was just like text after text of people dragging her through the mud <laughs> and everyone laughing. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of like how we bond with one another. My dad, cause they're like very shiny because they're, I mean, it's truly the worst couches you've ever seen. And my dad was like, I'm going to need sunglasses to like go into the room or whatever. Then my sister was like sending a meme that was like someone entering the room and then light like flashes in her eyes and she like is blown back whatever then like whatever so I that's kind of like how I grew up and very much how my family operates and we're also like Greeks so we're very loud and everyone's talking over one another whatever anyway so that was one thing for sure and then Aside from that, I just loved stand-up when I was a kid. I think there were two prongs of it. One was like, I loved like George Carlin and Richard Pryor and all that, like all the stuff that I had been told is like the classics, especially George Carlin. I really was like idolized throughout high school. And then I also loved like Joan Rivers was huge for me and kind of like all the women that, that had not gotten as much attention as the guys. And, you know, I loved Margaret Cho and all the women of SNL and, you know, all, all those people. But despite the fact that my family is funny, they are incredibly academically oriented. My parents both have engineering PhDs and I'm very much like the black sheep in the sense that I'm doing like something creative. And because of that, I didn't even attempt to start to do anything like that until I was maybe like 24, 25. I had graduated college. I'd gotten a non-creative degree. And then I had like moved to a different city. And for the first time I was like, okay, like I'm financially independent. I don't feel like I owe something <laughs> to someone. And I am also in a new city where I don't know anyone. So nothing's holding me back. I was in Boston at the time. And so I started basically doing like open mic comedy in Boston and then slowly met people through that and started getting on at clubs and started doing comedy festivals. And so it all kind of came from there. So you hit upon two folks that you said were huge influences, George Carlin. Well, let's focus on him actually for a second. I'll put it this way in a silly kind of analogy. I'm not a big sports guy, but when I go to a basketball game with somebody who is, and they reveal the game to me, it's like, oh my God, this is like incredibly complicated. And I wonder like, 
why is George Carlin so iconic? What was he doing that was like, no, you guys don't understand. Like he was doing this and that, and it was totally new. What is it about him? I mean, it's interesting because in terms of actual joke writing, I think someone like Richard Pryor is like, just technically speaking, a better joke writer. I think the George Carlin thing for me, at least, is I was at the exact right age where I was also simultaneously learning about the world and about politics and and developing my own views and stuff. And when you watch Carlin's later work, it's in fact so preachy that, that people today might call it like woke or something. Like it's truly like it was an education in just like the world as well as just in, in comedy writing. So I think like I had never heard someone talking about like religion in that way or politics or, or kind of like explaining politics in a different way other than just like there are Democrats and there are Republicans. Like he just was able to look at a situation and find what was to use like an outdated term phony about <laughs> it. And then the jokes were based on that, which I think like, especially when you're a teenager is very affecting because you're like, everyone's fake and only I can see that. <laughs> the other one I was going to mention is Joan rivers why do you mention her i mean there's obvious reasons yeah. just in terms of the barriers she broke which is nuts but what do you see that maybe non-comedians aren't seeing? yeah i mean joan rivers i have to say i don't stand by everything she's ever said by any means but just like her irreverence and how she would just like say anything offend people to their faces say just like truly awful things like basically like anything for the punchline anything for the joke i think i really respected that and respected that like at every turn people were like fuck off and she was like, no. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen it, I, the Joan Rivers documentaries, it's called Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work, is a really, really great movie. And there's this one scene where she has this giant like file cabinet where the files are note cards. So it's all different little drawers, kind of one next to the other. And it's all the jokes she's ever written. She just like has them all, each one on an index card. And it's this giant filing cabinet. And it's just like, I don't know, it's almost like comedy as a personal ethic. It's like, this is how she lives her life is in a comedian's way. <laughs> and that's how she processes the world. That's how she communicates with people. It's like she makes sense of something by finding what's crazy about it or by pointing out what's weird about it or something. So yeah, I think she really kind of walked the walk, so to speak. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Sam, I want to go back to you for a sec, just on this idea of a lot of things that connect great comedians, but George, Joan, certainly that kind of like total unapologetic, brave, like you could throw all kinds of words at what they were doing. Also just really funny, but that stuff too. I think at least, especially maybe in the last two or three years, it's maybe not one of the hardest jobs in the world, but it's definitely one of the scariest. And that's a weird thing to put on it, I guess. Like when you look at cancel culture, when you look at the way our society's changing, how fast somebody can be criticized for the stuff they say, the out of contextness of things, I would think really scary, anxious to be, that's literally what I'm here for. Like I, I have to do that stuff. That's my job as a comedian is to push envelopes a little bit. Sam, how does that get in your head? Like as a comedian, do you feel yourself limiting yourself more where you're like, oh man, I can't tell that joke anymore because I'll get in trouble. Or do you be like, no, now that I said that, I have to tell that joke. How do you process all this? I'm pretty unprecious with my material. Like if something's not working for any reason, I'll just cut it and find something that does. So like there's nothing that I can think that I would like dig my heels in about I think it's generally, you know, George looks up to like the George Carlin types. I've looked up to more like Steve Martin was like my comedy idol in high school who, you know, because it's not about talking about the specifics. It's about like showing how we are stupid inside, like showing how like goofy it is to be alive. And so like I find that to be pretty easy to do no matter what, no matter what the political temperature is. So that's kind of my North Star. <laughs> so I don't get too concerned with that. And like, I think every 
like starting out comedian tries to dip into like offensive and mostly when I did any of that I'm embarrassed by it not because it was like offensive but it's just because it's like you don't know who you are yet like that's not you and it's just like kind of lazy a lot of times I think for you you felt like oh that's kind of me being a comedian but not necessarily being the Sam Taggart totally. version of comedian yeah I've got to figure out. Yeah. That's interesting. When you see other comedians get taken to task or get into trouble or whatever, because of the things they say, what happens in your brain? Do you think like, guys, that's their job? Or do you go to a place of like, yeah, you should probably be more careful. Or do you just say, I don't know, let's to each his own. That's not my thing. Like, where do you go in your head? I kind of go like, maybe this is mean, but I'm kind of like, grow up. Like, <laughs> to dig your heels in in that. I mean, it's case by case, of course. But a lot of times I get more annoyed with like the inauthenticity of it, where it's like, I think the job of a comedian is to be authentic and be honest and be yourself. And it's more like politically aligning yourself with something rather than finding an emotional truth. George, what about you? Is there an anxiety to being a comedian that maybe wasn't there before where you're sort of like, oh God, my whole job is to speak truth to power. And now that's really hard to do. Or is it like, no, I'm just trying to be funny. <laughs> I think on a creative level, I care more about being original and saying something no one else has thought of mm -hmm. or saying something in a new way than I do about hitting the topics of the day. So in that context, I actually think talking about cancel culture is the least interesting thing you can possibly do. <laughs> Yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about it. I'm just kind of like the specific debates are besides the point, but like I have now heard every possible joke about cancel culture, every possible joke about how society is changing and you can't say anything anymore that like I would love to challenge someone to say something, someone being a comedian to like say something new about it. But until I can figure out something that has not been said about it, then I'm not going to talk about it just because it's a hot topic and, and it'll get attention or something. So yeah. And often, you know, it's interesting comedy, much like a lot of funny art forms. I think political cartoons are like this. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that there's this paradox where on the one hand, people want to have it both ways. They want to be like, well, I'm just joking, nothing serious. And anything I'm saying doesn't matter because I'm just joking. And what you said, that it is the most important job in the world because you're speaking truth to power. And I think that is kind of disingenuous <laughs> a little bit. And you have to like, at the end of the day, literally have a sense of humor about it and kind of be like, it's playful. And yes, like I do have certain beliefs that I hold very deep and I really believe them and I would push back if someone disagreed with me but like the joy of it comes in like the dance between like the serious and the not serious I mean to get up on a stage and kind of consider the audience like your enemy or something is just like what a terrible way to live <laughs> yeah yeah that's an odd perspective that's like Vulture telling me he will be yeah yeah and were they wrong <laughs> There's this little skit that Bo Burnham does in the Inside Out takes where he spoofs Joe Rogan and he does exactly what you're talking about, George, where it's like there's a little bit where he's like, oh, we're just comedians. It's no big deal. And then the next moment he's like, and it's the truth. We speak like philosophers. And it's like... <laughs> Which one is it? Yeah. But I guess the point is, I don't know. It's all pretty funny. <laughs> sure. But listen, I'll close on talking about this as a podcast again to bring it full circle. This medium of podcasting that we at iHeartMedia have fallen in love with has just exploded from a fledgling super fan base 10, 15 years ago to you now have one out of three Americans a month listening to podcasts, 120 million people a month in the country listen to podcasts. It's crazy. It's the most recent new medium to reach mass reach audiences. And I wanted to get your guys take on it as relative newcomers to making podcasts what we hear a lot if there is a through line across all these conversations we've had in these sessions it's people who are really skilled from other mediums writers actors whatever jumping into
into podcasting and thinking, wow, this medium feels unique. It feels like I have a lot of control. I have a direct relationship with consumers or listeners or audience members that I didn't have in other mediums and a bunch of other things. And it's usually like from, again, like Will Ferrell to Will Packer. Everybody is like, this is really amazing. I feel kind of like I have controls back creatively that I didn't have for a while. Sam, start with you. Like, what's it been like to jump into podcasting? I assume you listened to podcasts prior, but what's it like making them? What's the medium feel like? I found it so surprisingly fun and refreshing. Like, we're both kind of cynical people. (laughs) And I think we were like, oh, well, let's see how this goes. Like, you know, there's like hack punchlines about like people with podcasts. So it was like, all right, well, let's just try it out. And then it was like, wait, this it's like so much fun. And I have found that like, for me, it does combine my improv training and my like joke writing. And like, I can be myself, but like slip into like bits and characters in a way that is so fun and kind of specific to this form. And it's just like, like I've done stand up in New York for like nearly a decade. And you know, it's been like hit or miss, but like pretty like average and like not average in the sense that I was just like a good stand up in New York. And then it was like, oh, wow. As soon as we started a podcast, now we have like fans and people really feel like they know us and they kind of do. And they're like kind of smart and they care. It's like really changed everything. It's shocking to me, <laughs> actually. Awesome. Yeah. I love, by the way, that Sam's fans are kind of smart. George, <laughs> well, George, George. No, no, I think he was talking about the fans of the podcast. Yeah. But to answer your question, mine are smart. <laughs> yeah. George heads are the smart ones. What is what is your take on that, George? What's it been like jumping into it? I mean, I, I completely agree with everything Sam said. The one piece of context is just that like we've been doing this podcast now for about two and a half years just on our own self-producing it. And now we're gonna relaunch on iHeart in the fall. But when we started it, we started it like the first month of lockdown. And Sam and I, before that, our main thing was live performance. Like we would perform almost every night in New York. And that was our main creative outlet. Neither of us at the time had another like comedy day job. I don't think like we do now. And so that was our entire life. Really. It was like performing, you know, both of us do stand up. Like Sam had this like amazing solo show that he used to do. We would host our own shows, perform other people's shows, whatever. And so one of the reasons why the podcast was so good is because we actually poured in all our creative energy into it because it was all, all we had. Because it was like March and April of 2020. And since things have reopened, it's been nice to kind of like see how we've both changed now as performers, having done this for two years. And we do live shows of the podcast with special guests in New York. So we've done three of those. And it's been interesting to see what it's like to go the other way and be kind of like podcasters who now perform. I mean, I and, and to Sam's point, like listeners have a Discord, which is like an online kind of chat forum, I guess, community. And we are also so in it. So we see people talk about the podcast and when a new episode comes out, they will have conversations about it and be like, what was your favorite part? And who's your favorite guest? The other day, they actually all decided at the same time to re-listen to an old episode to discuss it together from like a year and a half ago, which was, I thought was very cool. So I think the community around it and also being able to see that happen in real time and not just kind of hope that it's <laughs> happening behind closed doors. Yeah. I mean, like Sam said, it was the first time I ever felt like I broke through in some way. That is awesome. We had one other comedian named Jess Hilarious that we do work with in parallel. Similar story, which was like my job was stand-up comedy and it was not possible during mm-hmm. quarantine. And similarly, she resorted to trying podcasting. And it's so interesting to me, though, to hear how that then feeds your stand-up comedy coming out of quarantine again. And it changes how you do that and how you approach it. Listen, this has been awesome. 
to be able to talk to you guys about this stuff and what drives you and where you come from. And the show is amazing. And like we always wrap these, but I really mean it. I just deeply, deeply appreciate you putting your trust and partnership in iHeartMedia. It means the world to us for such a great show like this. So Sam, George, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody, thanks for hanging out with us this week again. I'm Connell Byrne, CEO of the iHeartMedia Digital Audio Group. This has been an iHeart podcast speaker session. We will be back next week with more. Be well, stay safe. Take care. Conversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.